Hello, I'm Regina Botras and this is Backstage, where we talk with the who's who on stage, in dance, comedy and performing arts, speaking with the leading theatre makers of our times and how they came to the stage and what drives them and inspires them. And we have a very exciting show this evening. I will be talking with the founder and leading creative director of Flora and Fauna Visions, Lee Sashwitz. She's an award-winning creator and visionary behind the content that will be displayed across 23 LED screens for Opera Australia's Ring Cycle, which is showing in Brisbane. Her work spans across immersive experiences, exhibitions, music stages, theatre and opera performances, fashion shows and art installations. And she comes from a background in architecture and joining me online from Brisbane. Welcome, Lee Sashwitz. No, I didn't quite get it, but anyway, Lee, welcome. Hi, hi. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming on. Before we get into your work as the, well, well for this opera, but also the work that you do, where did life begin for you? What was it like growing up? Was it a creative house and where were you? I know you weren't in Australia from by the accent. Yeah, no, I'm born and bred in Glasgow, Scotland. So I grew up in Scotland in a household which uh, wasn't necessarily creative, but definitely flexible. So my dad was doing lots of different things. So he's more of an entrepreneur. So going in and out of different types of projects and starting a business here and doing this there. So we're definitely taught to be very flexible and independent, I think. Yeah. And then I moved to Berlin. I studied architecture at the Glasgow School of Art in Glasgow. And when I was finished with my studies, I was looking for some fun and adventure. And I wanted to leave the UK just for fun and adventure. Mm -hmm. I didn't really have a plan, but I ended up in Berlin and that's where I've been based since 1994. What drew you, first of all, to architecture as something you wanted to... And did you actually work in architecture at all? I was always kind of interested in creative things and interested in kind of solving problems and fascinated with space and wanted to go to art school. And it was turned out to be a very good decision, actually, because it's really... Architecture, for me, was really about how do you solve a problem in space? So in physical space, so it wasn't necessarily about let's build a building and, you know, all those types of functional things. It was really about how do you deal with space and humans and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And from 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 going from like an artistic or studying in an artistic uh, school and not a technical school, we really did learn how to solve these types of problems. And we had a couple of cool you know like 1992 1993 so there was like a lot of kind of upcoming interesting architecture going on like deconstructivism Saha Hadid Daniel Lipskin all these people were all around surrounding kind of surrounding the school so they were also very much like focusing on the artistic pushing architecture into the artistic realm and yeah things materials were becoming more accessible things were getting a bit more crazy so we the opportunities to really, you know, go there and and think about things and be wild and 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 out of think out of the box. You know, we were very much pushed to think like that. <laughs> so, what happened with when you went moved moved to Berlin, and what kind of was that bridge? I suppose from architecture into what you're doing. 
you had to do like a practical uh, internship, I guess, in architecture. So I worked in Glasgow for a couple of months, maybe not even a couple of months, I can't remember, but for a few weeks, maybe in an architecture office. And they were building multiplex cinemas, which was also just starting out in the uh, early 90s. And I hated that. I really couldn't. Uh, I, re I really wasn't into it. And when I moved to Berlin, I went to work in an architecture office for probably like two months. And I also I wasn't really into it, it was like standard housing things and stuff like this. So I was kind of like with my experiences that I was having and on the practical level, I was kind of like getting to the point where I was realizing like hmm, this doesn't really do it for me and at the time which is interesting because now that I'm older it changes again but at the time the thought of working for I don't know like five years on one project to build a building was like it was it was kind of like a horrible thought for me because I couldn't imagine that time you know yeah. like you're 21 and five years is like so much time and mm. to do the same thing for five years was like a crazy thought or maybe six years or however long it takes to build. And so I wasn't into that either. Uh, I wanted to kind of do more different things. So, yeah, I basically just got into the into what I'm doing now, you know, through just arriving in Berlin, being in the right place at the right time. So for any of the listeners here who aren't quite clear, you know, we're talking 1993 Berlin, Germany. So we're talking about a city where there was a wall for many, many years before in which the wall had fallen a couple of years before I arrived. Yeah. So there was, were like huge amounts of space and huge amounts of opportunity. And so wherever there's space, wherever there's opportunity, and I guess wherever the costs are low, that's where the artists always end up, right? Yeah, because they always indeed. just go to where it is, where they, where they can do things. And so there were lo lots of different interesting people who'd arrived over the previous years after the fall of the wall. And I kind of like just very quickly, I think literally after two days, I ended up in a in a warehouse party, you know, with different types of artists, visual artists and DJs and stuff. And uh, kind of lucky to be in the right place at the right time in the right city being the right age and we just got you know into this kind of crew and started like making pictures and started buying like old technology like uh, not, you wouldn't call it technology these these days <laughs> I guess but you know like old slide projectors and film projectors you know when you, mm. the film goes through and you have to shoot your super 8 film and stuff like this and we started like splicing it up and cut, sticking it back together and making loops, video loops, you know, and working with kind of pause, play, fast forward, record on VHS to VHS and just whatever we could at the time to try to like create our own image sequences or also paint our own slide, uh, slide images on glass and then project them. And the cool thing about this at the time was that a lot of these spaces were, you know, we were just doing pop up events so you'd pop up one day you'd do something over there you'd turn off the lights again it looked like nothing had happened the things weren't totally 100% legal right mm. so it was more like the underground art scene at the time and yeah you'd, you'd you'd turn off the light switch and go out and it was like nothing had happened <laughs> after the party so it became a very good way to yeah just do stuff and work and 
this is all kind of pre-Instagram, of course, and pre-mobile phone. So mm. you weren't like so concerned like the young designers are today, you know, about documentation and everybody seeing everything. You just kind of let loose and did it and enjoyed the moment. And yeah, I was very lucky to be around at that age at that time in the world, I think. Was there a group of you that were doing it? And do you still know some of the people from that from that time? And Berlin is a very well-known city for artistic productions and mm. over the years there have been many people so even before I arrived in Berlin David Bowie was there you know and there were other uh, famous artists and musicians there and then when the wall fell what happened was for me and my cosmos at the time was really electronic music okay so it was the beginning of um, really like the integration of electronic music and artists obviously were coming from different places to play music there was a very good techno scene and it was a very small scene mm. there were also pockets you know in Detroit and in the UK there was stuff going on in Manchester and so on and everybody knew kind of about the other stuff that was happening but of course we were not like globalized the internet was just starting out so you know, we were talking 100 megabytes, you know, if you look at the ring, I can't even tell you what the size is, terabytes and terabytes of content. So, you know, it was a, a very different time, but still, there were a lot of people who did actually, when you look at it, or when I look at it, who did go on to make a career out of that moment. So I do still know quite a lot of people and some very famous DJs who are, you know, completely like, high up at the top level of what they do or artists you know a lot of them came out of that of that pocket of of that moment you know in Berlin which was just electrifying so what what happened from there from the making for electronic music kind of VJ I suppose is it to extent and you were making kind of was it also found work or is it your was it your own sort of creation of images that you were using and then when did you see like that this future now from there yeah so I think in the beginning it was a combination of creating your own images and also like re-editing things that you found so just one thing which is interesting you know like people obviously a lot of East Germans fled they fled East Germany when the wall fell. So you would go to like a place in German, we call it the Schrottplatz, which is the rubbish dump. And you would find like somebody's life from love letters to their bed, you know, and all scales of somebody's life where the flats had been cleaned out. Wow. So we'd go scrummaging around there and just, you know, like recreate these stories of people's lives or look even, you know, just old family footage or these types of slide projectors. So it really was about creating loops and adding your own imagery into that for the first, maybe the first year or two. And then I got my first computer, which was 1994. So at the point where, you know, things like Photoshop <laughs> would uh, become available to us and we started getting into like the into the revolution of the Internet and digitalness, I guess, and the Apple Mac and these types of moments that that point that was really the point where we started to be able to create or I talk about we like all the people from that time who are working and all the different digital artists from that time so or I started to create my own images using photoshop and different types of technology so that really was a revolution 
because other before that you could either go to a copy shop, you could paint it yourself, or you could splice together stuff from that you found and recreate and paint on top of it, right? But you couldn't, or you could take a photo and develop the 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 slides as well. So yeah, and up to that, and then at the point of you know the the Mac, you know the Apple the Apple coming in, you could then start to create your own images. So from there, you know, you started to get more digital. And create the own, you know, create our own stuff. And when you look at it, you know, it's like you go from VHS to high definition to 2K to 4K to like real time rendered images. And now we're like in artificial intelligence. So the things that um, I've done and the projects that I've worked on over the last years have always used new technologies to create stories um but it's always like the story comes first you know it's the idea which comes first and then you're like okay i want to uh recreate this idea using this or using that or using the other but it's always you know coming from the original idea which i think you will see in the work that we do at flora fauna visions that that's very emotional and it's not really it's technology driven, but storytelling in the first hand, you know. So let's talk about the ring cycle and this <laughs> epic. How long is the duration of this? It's like I think it's 15. It might be 14 and da da da, but it's around 15 hours. Mm. Um, it was written by Wagner um, over a period of 30 years, which I think is very interesting. And he wrote the final one, which is also the longest one. He wrote that first. Um, so, yeah, um, 15 hours. So where did you start with a work like this? Uh, well, just like with every other piece, it really starts with like the storytelling. And in this particular case, um, I was asked to work on this project by the director, Sheng Shisheng. And we've worked together on quite a few projects with myself and my studio in Berlin over the last years. We actually got introduced by somebody who used to run a festival in Berlin. But the first thing that really happened, the starting point was to sit in a room in Sydney at the Opera Center together with him and together with Anita Javic, who we'd also worked as the three of us on another project before. She's the costume designer from New York, also amazing total great uh, collaboration and just to really sit down for two weeks and go through the music and go through the story and understand the patterns and the rhythms and the motifs and the things that come back and try to like just figure out what direction our ring needs to go in and I, I remember saying in another interview you know that it was funny because I thought I think I did think when I got on the plane that we'd have it kind of knuckled down at least the direction after those two weeks but <laughs> I was completely wrong because it just opened up like this huge can of worms and at the end of those two weeks I was like oh my god did I actually agree to do this <laughs> and it's so crazy um how are we ever going to get our heads around it because it's very very complicated it's not just the fact that it's 15 hours. It's just the way that this music has been written and the, the way that the story is told 
yeah, it took quite a long time after that to really go over and over again until you really like have the work and the stories and the motives and the direction kind of um, tattooed on your skin for a few years in a way or embedded in you in order to be able to do this because yeah it's I also feel like it's been done a lot I'd never seen any before so I still actually to this day we're about a week away from the opening while we're recording this and I still actually haven't ever seen a ring cycle because I decided that we're not going to research and look at what everyone else had done um, so as soon as we've opened, I'm going to research and have a look and see how other people did it. But um, yeah, it takes a lot to understand um, to understand the work that Wagner had written and to understand it. So after those two weeks, we really were just, you know, scratching the surface. And um, the project actually started in 2019 and was postponed uh, due to the pandemic so it's funny because Anita and I were talking um, the other day and she said from her point of view, I think there's over 250 costumes. And she said she really like she's really happy that the project was postponed. She thinks that the work is better because we did have this, uh, even though we, we did have this break. And it, it wasn't like we've been working constantly for three years but it does give you the opportunity to go back and revisit things if you spread it out over a longer period of time. And the original timing would have meant that we would have had to do this in one and a half years. And I thought like one and a half years, easy peasy. And a few people said to me, you're crazy. You can't do this in one and a half years. Um, and I think we could have done it in one and a half years, but I'm happy that this took three years to make. <laughs> Well, having said that it's complicated and, you know, difficult and it's taken this long, can you kind of give us an idea of the story that we are working with? And I think it is rare to have um, all the parts played at once. I mean, that's one of the, the things about this particular production for Opera Australia, actually. But uh, in a nutshell, <laughs> can you put those 15 hours into kind of like, you know, what is the kind of core of the story or what you know, for you was something that kind of set you off into the story? For me, it's really about, I think the the most attractive thing to me as a digital um, creator in the end, and ultimately like the, there is in this production, there is no, no real stage set. So the stage set is being created through these uh, digits, through the digital design there are um, a lot of LED panels on stage. There's a huge LED background, which is, uh, I think, 15 by 9 meters high. The, there's lots of tracks of panels which can actually move as well. So they're kinetic. Um, so you can create many different types of configurations and setups um, through, through the placement of how you move these digital panels and what you put on them and when you put what on them and all this stuff. There's some production design items as well, which are very great, like a rock that you can, uh, or that singers can actually go up on or which can sit there as an object. There's also a magical tree which can be projected on from the front. Um, so it's really about the combination of how to bring these things together and hold it through 15 hours, right? Um, and I think what's very important is to find like the balance you know in the end the audience come 
They're watching the stage. It's one thing. There's amazing music. There's amazing uh, performers. There's amazing production. There's great costumes. There's great digital sets. There's brilliant lighting. But in the end, you don't want them to say, the worst thing is when you get a review and it says, well, this was great and this was rubbish because it means that the things have not merged together as one vision. So how to do that um, with this technology, with the music, also the fact that it's live and all these things is really like the the challenge here, I think. And, um, you know, in the end, like it's about, you know, it's about it's a fantasy kind of sci-fi uh, version in a way of the ring and what's really attractive and I now understand possibly the reason besides the brilliant music why it's been done so often is because it's not set anywhere so you can actually do whatever you want and it can be whatever you want and um, for us you know we created these different worlds you know so there's the gods you know and they live in a or they they reside they don't really live but they 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 happen within kind of a almost like a fantasy heaven place you know which is very clean and very spiritual almost and very modern and it's almost futuristic in a in a yeah in a meditative kind of way and then there's you know like the world of um things like the norns you know which kind of are almost like telling the story so we work with like spiders webs and things like this you know which kind of you know when you think about a spider and how they you know kind of build their webs you know and how that gets more and more detailed and intricate and these types of motifs come back and back and back over the 15 hours whenever one of the singers is talking backstory or talking conspiracy because in the end the story it's about a guy who warns different people and about a ring which is cursed, you know, and in the end, everyone who touches it ends up not in a very good place. I won't give it away for anyone who still wants to come, but but there's so many different layers and so many different levels of conspiracy and stories going on beyond that, that we try to illustrate these in some kind of way, um, abstract way on stage, like with the spider's web. And then there's like the world of the first guy, actually, who's um, Albrecht, you know, who's like a bug. He's he's like an underworld, under earth, kind of dark brown, muddy kind of bug, you know. And so there's his world and the world of Erda, who's like almost like Mother Earth. But for her, we're kind of researching like old ancient Chinese um, kind of patterns and um, almost like almost a little bit of like Buddhist uh, design. So there's that type of world as well. So there's, I think like what's attractive about this production is also that there's so many different things to look at. We have Siegfried, you know, who's, you know, one of the operas is named after him, the third one, but of course he's also a guy. He's a character and a lot of kids, especially if you're in Europe, I think, you know, like there's this fantasy of like this guy this boy who kills the dragon and that's like his ultimate it turns him into a man right so he gains the strength by killing the dragon so we have Siegfried and his kind of world in the forest um and yeah so so I think there are a lot of different very special moments for everybody and um yeah 
hopefully <laughs> hopefully everyone will enjoy it do you you were talking originally about the music and that kind of first couple of weeks and understanding the rhythms and is that i mean i i, I imagine and it kind of i guess in in some ways obviously harks back to the electro berlin music but and and vjing but how often are you kind of letting the music drive you i mean obviously it is but are you shifting images you know, when do you decide on that, those things? I mean, maybe it's too technical and too hard to answer, but, you know, the importance of the music for the video. Yeah, it's so important. Um, there are, of course, moments where we go with the visual of what somebody does uh, on stage, but more or less we go with uh, the music. And it's interesting for me, like I was saying before, I haven't seen any other productions, but I heard that there are many ring productions where there's nothing on stage where it's just like yeah where you just listen to the music because sometimes he has like he's created you know like an overture of like 12 minutes so you just sit there for 12 minutes and you listen to the orchestra and then the curtain opens and in this case all of these moments especially all of the overtures they're all created using front projection so it's really a dance between what Wagner um, created and how the maestro, how the conductor is playing and the video design, um, because there isn't really anything else going on in that particular moment. And then there are the other moments where there's like full on stage, you know, I think I can't remember the exact number, but it's something like 70 or 80. No, I think it's 96. The chorus um, in Götterdämmerung are 96 people. So there are moments where there's, you know, 110 people on stage you know and you've still you've still got this video design going on yeah and I, I can't really answer the question to be honest I mean I think that's really what what the bottom line of the work is 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 it's not just there's so much more than just creating the imagery and putting it up there you know it's really about how to do it so that people in the audience feel feel it you know how do you get that how do you do it so that they feel it and how do you do it on a length of 15 hours that they don't feel completely overwhelmed by digital imagery because no one else I mean no one else has done this before and I think we have I don't know how many we have something like 600 video cues and we have I think we've created something like 800 pieces of video um so it's not like we do something and we leave it for an hour and then we do something else. It's very much telling the story along with the music. And there's, you know, there's a lot going on there and it's just about finding that balance. And ultimately I think that we've done it. Like I do, I do feel quite proud of the work that we, and we've created. And so I, I think that it's worked, but it's hard to say because I'm literally still in the middle and we haven't had our general rehearsals yet but it's going to be really fun to uh, hear what the feedback is and see how that is for somebody who hasn't seen anything um yeah yeah. I'm excited. It's very exciting. And I'm imagining you're using the kind of the tree you said or the rock or the costumes do they kind of you know become partly the video at times I am imagining that kind of magic. Um, and you said 600 uh, cues and 800 clips or something. Are, are these, you're not cutting up video anymore. <laughs> is 
is it all created from from nothing to life? Yeah, all, actually, all... everything is completely created from scratch. So there are a couple of photo shoots with some of the singers, but those are created from scratch as well. It's kind of like, in a way, like when I think about Wagner and I think about how music is composed, I mean, how the hell that guy wrote that in, you know, he, I mean, it did take him 30 years, but still like the amount of detail and the amount of back and forth and the amount of precision, which is required to start from scratch and create that score, you know, is, is amazing. And I, you know, I kind of feel like it's like almost like painting a picture what we do. So you start with this blank canvas and you have the music and you maybe have some vocal and you maybe have some special moments in the story, of course, and how do you then paint that picture? You know, you can start with a grain of sand and that's just one pixel and it's one point and you can build that up and at the end of that 30 minutes, which is the case in Walkery Act 2, um, the entire act is a, is a sandstorm. Um, you can end up in this so storm, you know, where you're full, you know, and how many grains of sand is that? And you'd never be able to do this with traditional sets, you know. So the opportunity with digital design to really work with the music and really tell a story and really create like extra layers of imagery, which give people the opportunity to go deeper onto another level is absolutely amazing and very fascinating to me that's for sure ah, we're almost out of time I can't help but think about the architecture of it because of the number of LED screens and then I imagine they're also moving around so you were thinking in depth and the space of the stage as well I imagine and also um, optimal illusions because you have the fourth wall so you have the audience looking in one direction so yeah. you want to create optical illusions as well and hmm. things like that. It sounds incredible, Leah. We are going to fall off the, the, the line any second. It's counting down. I want to thank you so much for joining me. It's been just amazing. Yeah, it's lovely to talk to you. The incomparable Lisa Schritz from Flora and Fauna Visions. The mastermind behind the LED screen projections for Opera Australia's Ring Cycle. This is only showing in Brisbane, but get online and have a look. It's incredible. And she's done work for Opera Australia previously, and I am sure she will again. That's it from us. I'm Regina Botras. Bye for now.